This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerest, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. So this week, uh, we sit down with Nick Warren of Arc Financial. And Nick and I have been discussing topics of him coming on an episode. And he sent me a couple ideas. And the one that really stuck out to me was raising your kids or the next generation to be financially responsible. And as some of you guys know, I have three kids of myself. And so in a very self-serving way, I was like, you know what? I'm really curious because I don't know how to approach this, where to start. My kids are pretty young. Is it too young for them to understand or what? And what came out of it? I think that you all enjoy, even if you don't still have kids in the house, right? This is something to share with your kids for their kids. Um, And I think honestly, the overall idea of communication and education is something that everyone can take something out of. So Really look forward to this talk. I hope you enjoy it as well. But before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Your shop's customers pump their own gas and bag their own groceries. And most of them don't mind booking online or paying you via a live chat bubble in a self-serve universe. Get up to speed and get shopware. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, the focus is on helping shop owners unlock their full potential by specializing in an expert coaching and marketing program designed specifically for your shop. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. So just want to welcome Nick Warren from Arc Financial joining me here today. Nick runs a family office and advisory firm based out of Austin, Texas. Well, Nick is based out of Austin, Texas and works with shop owners all around the country, helping them you know, better plan for their future, make sure that they're not paying too much in taxes, investing, and I guess everything else in between. Right, Nick? That's right. Thanks for having me, Hunt. I've been looking forward to this chat with you uh, for quite some time. Awesome. Yeah, and so Nick, uh, him and I have a lot of mutual clients, and so going down, talking taxes, you know, talking strategies here, um, and said, hey, you know, I'd love to come on and do an episode. And so he came down through and gave me a bunch of really good ideas here. But one of the biggest ones that stuck out to me was teaching kids about money. And I was the first one to say this of like, hey, Nick, honestly, this is self-serving, right? This is something that I am curious about, which is funny because I'm a, a numbers guy too. But I think in this day and age with, there's no cash, right? My kids see credit cards. I told you this joke, Nick, of, Hey, my daughter just said, well, just put your card in and didn't get like, well, there's actually money behind that and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But how could they? And so, you know, Nick and I already had a discussion about this, but had some really cool ideas, you know, that he advises for his clients, but also stuff that, you know, has kind of worked for his kids as as he's raised them. Uh, He's a couple of years ahead of me as far as how old his kids are. So, yeah, I guess, Nick, like, how did you come up with a method is this someone you learn from something else? Is this trial and error of what seemed to click with the kids or, or how do you kind of go about this? Oh, yeah. Well, well, first I should explain how old my kids are just mm-hmm. so you have a little bit more context. I mean, we are a little bit at different points and I always enjoy talking with uh, folks about money and family matters. Honestly, as a coach, that's something that I really enjoy. And kids, marriage, those are both real important things to me. So they're, they're, they're important topics with money. My wife and I, when we got married and decided that we wanted to have kids, both realized that we've been given an incredible blessing from our families of origin. Both of us grew up in uh, households where money was uh, a very healthy topic. It was well-managed. We were shown how to properly manage things from a very early age, back when we were formed. Our psyches were formed and our patterns were formed. And so 
when we came together as husband and wife in one new household, we realized that one of the many things that we wanted to pass along to our children was good financial stewardship, right? There's a lot of things that we as parents, you as a parent, I as a parent, we want to teach our kids. And this is one that my wife and I realized, okay, this is something real important to us. We want to pass it along. And we were formed, you know, our kids, my oldest is 20. His name is Alex. He, he's in college. He graduates this spring. And then I have a, another son who's uh, 20 and uh, they're about one year apart. And then we have a daughter who's 17. That's a senior in high school. Okay. So we're kind of at a point where all the basics of finance are already ingrained in them. And we're starting to get into more advanced topics, like, like how to invest, how to save different methods and things like that. But if you think back to where we were 20 years ago, my wife and I were influenced by a couple of people. Uh, First was our parents, what we saw them teach us. Second was there was a guy who was a media guy back then, back before we had podcasts and things like that. He used to write articles in magazines (laughs) named Clark Howard. And Clark, I don't know what happened to this guy or where he is, but he had this book that we read called Clark Smart Parents, Clark Smart Kids. And we were really turned on by that. And then also around that time, Dave Ramsey started his little thing. Now, Dave Ramsey was a small little thing back then. And we used his Financial Peace University, you know, the envelope method. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually did that for a while because we thought it was cool. And then we were like, this is crazy. We put cash in envelopes. So we started tracking it in Excel because mm-hmm. my wife and I are both kind of geeks like that. So anyway, that that's what kind of formed the initial thing, but also we realized that we had very non-traditional or we had a very unusual upbringing. And so some of the ideas we're going to talk about were kind of the outflow of my wife and I trying to get clever as husband and wife, just like all parents do, right? Mm -hmm. You see a problem in your kids or something happens or some behavior, you're like, okay, what are we going to do about this? And so this is just one of those things that my wife and I talked a lot about. What was your financial kind of family of origin like? I'm curious. Yeah. And so Nick tried to get me this before we record. I was like, all right, we got to get recording here and I'll tell you that. My mom is actually a CPA, but not a practicing CPA. Uh, she's a college professor. And so has taught accounting. Also, obviously, CPA does taxes and stuff like that. So from an early age, we had a pretty good sense of money. Plus, you know, I'm 34, right? And so I still grew up really before credit cards, right? We had credit cards, but still most of the stuff we were doing is I still have memories of going to the bank and, you know, getting cash out when you wanted to go somewhere oh, and yeah. stuff like that. And so I had a natural idea for money, but... I'd be curious about your kids because I see it with me because I had two siblings growing up and I have three kids now. I have always been one to say, hey, I know what money is, but I'm not afraid to spend it, right? Whereas my brother and sister were the exact opposite, right? Like they would get it, they would save it. Like my brother would have his Halloween candy for a year, right? They're just naturally savers on it. But, you know, I think as you get older, I had a natural curiosity for money, right? Look at what I do for a living. And so, you know, economics, investing, finance and stuff like that has always really kind of clicked with me and something that I was interested in. You know, I don't know that there was we always had money, but the fact was it wasn't limitless. Right. And so like my parents, it wasn't like, hey, you can do whatever you want. But also same flip side, it wasn't limited in that aspect. We did work. Right. And I think that that was a big thing. And I think that for kids, it's really hard to get an understanding of money if you don't work for it. I mean, Mm -hmm. that first paycheck where it's like, wait a second, how did I work this? And it's like, that's what taxes are, right? How do you explain withholding in taxes until a kid really gets that, you know, look in their eyes of like, wait, where did this all go? 
But yeah, I mean, and, and it's something that I'm trying to do with my kids. My kids are way younger than yours, right? I got two, four and seven, but I even see it with them. Like my seven-year-old, she's a saver, right? And she's also very money motivated. My four-year-old is like, if I give her a dollar, I'll see it like laying on the floor an hour later, just laying around. So I still think they're a little bit young to get the idea of, you know, actually controlling it. But, you know, like you and I were talking about before, there's stuff that can start at an early age just so you get kind of that foundational idea behind money. Yeah, that's right. Um, just a little bit. Thanks for sharing that background. It, it's the family of origin is a really important part of how you think about money. And as a husband and wife, you obviously kind of blend that together somehow. Uh, well, just a little bit more background about me. I grew up in a farming community in Columbus, Ohio, in one of, the, one of the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio. I went to a little high school of 300 kids. My dad was a mid-level manager in the telephone company. My mom was an English teacher. And we were kind of the same way. There was never a concern about running out money in the family, but it wasn't limitless. Like we had to, my mom and dad would plan carefully for big family vacations and things like that. But what, what was different, I guess, is that my parents talked about money in front of us and, and taught us. And so at an early age, I was mowing yards, delivering newspapers, doing all the stuff that kids do to earn money. And I remember one of my first experiences with mowing yards, I think I was 10 years old. I remember I was just barely big enough to actually push a lawnmower. I, I wasn't even strong enough to carry the trim. I remember that. I mowed the neighbor's yard and the neighbor, I think, gave me $5. And my dad walked up to me afterwards and with a jar. And he said, you got to put a dollar in to pay for the lawnmower. I was like, what? <laughs> I just worked. I was like, you know, it's a hot Ohio summer, right? So hundred percent humidity. Yeah, exactly. I have to pay for the lawnmower. He's like, well, yeah, you know, I've got to buy gas and replace it unless you want to go buy a lawnmower for yourself. I was like 10 years old. And it was the first time that I realized that what you earn is not what you keep. Right. And that lesson continued. And then, you know, fast forward, what we did with our kids was, when our kids started at a very, very early age getting money, we gave them three jars. This came from Clark Howard, I think. We had three jars. There was the save jar, the spent jar, and the tithing jar. Now, the way we did it was we didn't tell them to put 10% in the tithing jar. We just always paid them equal increments of three. Okay, So this is kind of funny. Before our kids could even count coins, we had a currency in the house that we had invented so that we could start to teach our kids the concept of saving and earning. And also we wanted to start to build an abundance mentality in them. And so the, the currency was called the coin. Later on, they realized that they were just quarters, but they weren't just any quarters. They were brand new quarters from the bank. So they were shiny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, at that age, that might've been like the state quarters too. Maybe your kids. Yeah, they might've been. Yeah. Well, yeah, we went through that phase too. Early on good. probably, right? Yeah, but we would pay our kids in increments of three. We'd say, you have to put a coin in each jar. Kind of like back to what my dad did when he had to pay for the lawnmower, right? And so at an early age, we would teach them that. And then we would encourage them to spend what was in the spending jar. So something I, I had growing up was I was one of those saver kids. My dad was a super saver. And as I grew and I matured my view of money and understanding of money, I realized that actually my dad doesn't spend enough. It actually becomes an emotional issue for him. Yeah. And for my mom. So, you know, I've learned so much from my parents. And I'm so grateful for... Everything. Now, mom, mom and dad, similar mindset on savings or what? You know, I think it's actually been a source of tension in their marriage. And now they've made saving a lifestyle. What I mean is that it's like a hobby. How much can they save? It's an obsession. It's you know, but I mean, it is. It's like an obsession. It's like a habit, right? Like when you're naturally like, hey, I'm a saver. 
then it, you know, like, oh, should I get this? And it becomes a huge, like weighing emotional thing when it's like, hey, you need it, right? Like you have a hole in your shoe. Just go buy new tennis shoes. It's $60. Yeah, that's right. But why? These are fine, Nick. Why do you keep on asking about the stupid tennis shoes? (laughs) So we wanted our kids to spend just like I want to be able to spend the money that I work so hard for. You know, another thing I want to share that happened in my life about 10 years ago that had a really big influence on my view of money was uh, my best friend at the time is a vice president at Dell. And he's always been a very important part of my life. And 10 years ago, his parents retired and I knew them. I was close to the family. And within a few months of retiring, his father had some kind of a stroke or a bleeding on his spine and he lost a lot of his mobility and they had saved up. They had the traditional path of spending as a family. You know, it worked for 55 or 58 years real hard with his wife, saved up all his money for retirement. And then this happened and their mobility freedom was lost. And so all that money they had saved, they now had to come up with a plan B. And around that time in my life, I observed two other couples go through the exact same thing. They had saved up thinking that somehow they would get to this new chapter and either one of them had a heart attack, the other one had a car accident. This other friend of mine, as I mentioned, had this other issue come up. And I realized you can't live in the future. You can't save all your money thinking one day, this is going to come up. You need to live abundantly as you go. And I realized that I didn't like what my dad had implanted in me about spending money. I would rather spend as I go. I'd rather die penniless, having just spent my last penny. <laughs> Your kid's going to pop around the corner right now and say, Dad, what did you just say there? You're going to, what? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what's funny is my, my son is visiting uh, this weekend from college and it was real nice. We sat down last night. I told him that you and I are going to be talking about this. As he kind of joked and said, I should come on and tell him all the stuff you put me through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get the first answer. You know how it is how you experiment on your oldest, you kind yeah. of get it tuned in and then you and then you subject everyone else to it. You're like, no, we're trying to get all the good stuff, right? All the listeners are going to be like, this worked out perfectly. Well, I have him scream right. in the background. No, it did it. No, yeah. but I, I mean, I think that the one big thing, I mean, you said a lot of really cool things there, but I think talking about it is huge, right? Because money is such a strange thing, you know, especially, I mean, for most Americans, like you don't ask someone how much money they make. And I know people, it's like, even talking to their parents, how much money you make? Oh, it's none of your business. Like your kid's not judging you. Your kid's not saying, well, Nick, why don't you get a raise? That's broke. It's, you have to talk about this stuff. And if you make it so taboo, I think it creates a whole stigma around it. I see so many people that have a truly unhealthy relationship with money in a lot of different ways, right? It consumes their entire life. Or the same flip side is they have a really unhealthy relationship with money because they don't know how to save it. And they go and they spend all of it and then they become broke and then they have to make rash decisions, go into debt and stuff like that. But being able to openly talk about it, not just, hey, I never talked about money. Now I'm wondering why my kid just graduated college and has no idea how to save money. They don't teach this stuff in schools. This is something that you have to learn at home. I've always said this of why are we learning cursive in school? Why don't they teach you, you know, economics 101? What is the interest rate? How do you save, you know, all kinds of stuff like this? You know, hey, what is a 0% credit card? I mean, how many kids, and you see a lot of that 18 to 22 is like the prime target for credit card companies, all stuff like this, because they're like, they don't know what we're doing. Now, a lot of adults don't get it either, but hey, you just signed up for a 0% credit card for 12 months. Do you realize that at 12 months in one day, all of that interest is back. Now, most people that are listening to this know that, but how many people are thinking to themselves, yeah, I learned that the hard way because I got that bill on the 13th month and looked at this. But 
you know, being able to pass that down and learn it. Now, one of the things I want to ask you is this is a completely generational thing a lot. You know, your parents, your generation, my generation, your kids' generation. I think, and I've talked about this with friends, when I was growing up, I think that money and the way people lived is a lot different than now. I think that my parents' generation and your parents' generation was naturally savers. Hey, we don't borrow money. Credit was isn't as abundant as now. And how do you think that this is going to kind of change for the generation of kids now, where this is a credit generation? This is, don't worry about that. You know, get a monthly payment, borrow credit. You know, it's almost impossible to avoid. That's, there's a lot in that question. Well, mm-hmm. first, both of us are around the same age-ish. Like I'm 50, right? And our parents lived through the 60s and 70s when interest rates were crazy high. It wasn't until Reagan started doing some things that inflation got to where you know, it got under 10%. I remember my dad used to have 14% interest rate or something on, the, on his house originally. Which and is so funny. We're then, saying that now it's like, you know, inflation know. two months ago but is now 10%. It's up. But now that's exactly my point with yeah. inflation being so high right now. It's kind of back in vogue to talk about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, you bring up the, the issue of understanding money, but also throw crypto now in there. And then, you know, the way we spend money is even changing where, you know, I needed to pay cash the other day. I was at a coffee shop and they took cash. I think their machines were down or something. I was like, well, I don't carry cash. I, that's so dirty. Why would I do that? In fact, I asked him, I walked into a place the other day and they didn't take Apple Pay from my watch. And I actually found myself getting frustrated. <laughs> you are an officially a 50-year-old millennial now. That, thank you. <laughs> well, so what we did, I think what, you know, my wife and I solved some of these, you know, these aren't new patterns. This has been going on for a long time. These shifts away from saving and shifts away from physical money that reminds you. And so you have to be intentional. That was your point earlier. Why, you know, as a parent, you just have to be more intentional about it. So what we did was as a parent early on, we introduced a tangible currency in the house so that we could make it real because, you know, a four-year-old child needs something real and tangible. And when I say four-year-old, we were literally starting with some of the financial concepts at age four. And then as the kids got older, we could progress into more sophisticated things. Like you obviously don't want to give a four-year-old a shiny quarter. That's a bad idea. But by the time our kids were six, we already had in our family an ecosystem that we described as an economy. Uh, It literally was an economy around the coin, around allowances and around some of the basic concepts. And let me share with you a lesson that we did with my son that was the first time. I remember his eyes lit up when this happened. We had this method where you would earn two coins per year of age. Okay. So if you were, uh, if you were six years old, then at the end of the week, we gave you 12 coins and we charged for services in our house. So we had a list, we had a price list of services. And so, for example, if you didn't make your bed, we would charge you one coin for that. And by the way, the price list, this is a really special thing to us is still taped up on our pantry door. No way. I saw it last night. It's really fun. And by the way, this is like my, because when you were talking about allowances, I was like, I've heard allowances. The way that nah, you yeah, did yeah. it, I was, I think not only is a lot fair, more fair, but it gives them a huge understanding of like what this stuff is worth. We all have bad days where we just turn to someone and ask, how the heck do I fix this? When that happens to you on the business side, which may not be your strong suit, you want someone quick and you want them to be clear. That's exactly what Dan Groen from Detroit Garage found when he peppered the folks at Shopware with questions about how to make the most of its shop management system. As he puts it, they continually solve the curveballs that we throw at them. 
With seven shops, Dan jokes that he is a demanding client, but that is a sign of a guy committed to his business. Even better, the shopware support team met every challenge with, in Dan's words, impressive capabilities and vigor. No complaints, no hassles, just a commitment to help Dan through his day. As Dan says, we make each other stronger. Now that's a partnership that works. It is time. Visit GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, the focus is on helping shop owners unlock their full potential by specializing in an expert coaching and marketing program designed for your specific shop. Their mission is to coach the owners to focus on growing their bottom line and building a team culture within their business. At the Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, they train the owners and the staff what right looks like, so everyone is on the same page and driving towards a common goal. Their coaching program focuses on all aspects of your business so that the owner can step back from the daily grind and start to work on their business and not in their business. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. We were trying to teach so many concepts and we brought it down to this real basic idea. And this is one of those ideas that Monica and I just love and it worked beautifully with our kids. So anyway, let's say that you're six years old. We would give you 12 coins at the end of the week. And we would then, in front of you, present you a bill of what services the family provided. And the bills that we provided were making beds, cleaning up shoes, picking up toys. That would be appropriate for a six-year-old. Okay, So we would say, hey, you didn't make your bed on Tuesday. We made your bed. So we're going to take a coin away from you for that. And so we would give you 12 coins and then give you the bill. And we would take the coins back from you. And then let's say we get all done with your bill and you have three coins left. And you're like, wait, I had 12 and now I have three. And then we'd be like, that's right. And one goes in each one of your jars, ascend, spade, spend time. And then here's the cool part. We would tell our kids for every coin you have in the save jar next month, I'll give you 10% more or next week. We provided a 10% per week interest on coins in the save jar. So what we do is we'd say, and we had the three jars right in front of us for each one of the kids. We'd be like, okay, you've got 15 coins in your save jar. So one and a half or two, here's two more. We're just going to throw it in for you. You didn't have to earn it. And then the kid would be like, wait, you, I remember the first time Alex realized this, he was like, wait, you gave me 12, you took away nine, but you gave me two more. So you mean this is the way it works? I was like, yeah, if you leave money in the bank and you don't spend it, then we'll give you more coins. So this continued week after week until honestly, we stopped paying 10% because we had to get so many quarters from the bank. But this is how, you know, this is a really simple method, but it paralleled what And it doesn't happens. have to be coins, right? It yeah. could be anything because you could, could give them marvelous. monopoly money, right? Because they yeah. think that's just as good on this. That's right. And, and also what developed, you know, we encourage entrepreneurial things in, in our house, of course, with our kids. So making beds was something that people didn't want to do. And so I remember a time when uh, Paula, who is the youngest of the three, she offered insurance to her brother's. For one coin per week, she would make sure your bed was always made and your shoes were always picked up. So that you would ensure that you're not losing money. That's right. So it was a form of insurance. She didn't even understand at the time. And there were even things that started to to develop in the house like, okay, you don't want to clean up your room. I'll clean it up for six coins. So, And we didn't discourage this. Uh, We wanted to encourage people to understand that you can pay for things in the world that you don't want to do. Now, in, in our particular case, you didn't have to 
work in order to get those 12 coins when you're six years old. We just gave it to you. Later, we had to introduce the concept that money just doesn't magically appear. Mm -hmm. And there really wasn't a smooth transition in our family because by the time our kids got to be 12, we were encouraging them to mow yards, to babysit, you know, age appropriate things. But we never offered to pay our kids to do things around the house. Instead, what we did is we took money away because we felt that that was a more powerful way to do it. And if you think about yourself, since you work with clients with taxes, you know, the fear of loss is much more powerful than the pleasure of gain. Yeah. And if you use that, you have this in your hand. If I don't do this, it's getting taken away versus I don't have it now. I don't want to do that. Whatever. That's right. The other thing we noticed is that our kids were happy givers. They would take the money out of the, the give jar and they would either take it all to church or they would give it to a neighbor or they were very, they weren't stuck on this is mine. So that, that was part of the mentality as well as we didn't want them to have this mentality. And also I mentioned that the save jar, we would encourage our kids to use it, right? Hey, you want that cool toy? Well, how many coins is that going to cost you? Well, you know, it got to a point where the coin jars got to be so big and so full that we had to convert them to bills. And then we started introducing concepts like bank accounts, right? So we started with this really simple thing and it progressed. Really tangible, right? Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah. And you mentioned too about coin versus other things. You know, one of the benefits of starting with coins is that the kid can take the jar to the store and actually dump the coins on the register and say, yeah, here, I'm here to buy that $20 toy. And they're like, $20? That's 80 And then the cashier punches your child, be like, get out of here with all these quarters. Well, still, but it's not a bad thing. Go to the coin store, come back to me. Yeah, but it's not a bad thing for a kid to have to count and like hand over their money. I think that's a beautiful thing. Well, it's also like what you and I talked about before of like, hey, a lot of, there's a lot of people that preach to use cash so that you look at it because if you're buying something for 4,000 on a credit card, that feels the same as $4. However, like you said, you have that quarters. Hey, if you're spending a lot of money, that is heavy, that is loud. You know, hey, this is, I can see how many times I, you know, mowed the grass or did whatever. I mean, it's just right there in their face. Yeah, that's really neat. I agree. Now we're, we've been talking about young kids the last couple of minutes here and it's been, that was a really neat time in our lives. But as my kids got older, money started to, we abandoned the coin ecosystem probably when our kids got to be about 12. One is that around 12, you know, we're giving you 25 or 24 coins a week. Okay. So it starts to add up. And by the way, we didn't do the 10% per week interest for very long. Mm-hmm. We did it long enough that their eyes lit up. That they got the idea. Then, that they got, and then randomly we'd throw stuff in, right? Yeah. We would, and we'd show it to them. But then what they didn't reconcile is, their books to see if they were short on money, I guess. No, actually, no, I'll get to that. No, we, <laughs> we definitely, this is where my son, if he were here and my kids, they'd be like, you wouldn't believe what our dad Some embezzlement, some Enron funny accounting going on in the background <laughs> by Nick. That's <laughs> <laughs> so great. No, as our kids got older and they started earning cash, there came a time where we started paying our kids out of our business. So I'm a business entrepreneur, like a lot of the folks listening to us today, they make their livelihood out of a business that they own. So I have three small businesses, a partial owner of Arc Financial. I have a software company that, that runs a hedge fund. And then also we have a rental property. We have rental real estate. So Anyway, I pay my kids, right? And so we started this a couple of years ago. We, you know, we went from the whole coin ecosystem to kids mowing grass, babysitting, you know, that sort of thing, to doing real work. And you know, the tax code, it, one of the common strategies that entrepreneurs get to use is they can pay their kids up to the standard deduction and the kid's not taxed on it, but it's still a business expense. So it lowers the profit of the business and you're giving money to your family, which is what I would be doing anyway. But 
for most of the people that have car shops, their QBI deduction is really based on their net income. So it's, it's beneficial for everybody, right? So I started employing my kids and I made them do real work. I wasn't just giving them money. Now we started this a couple of years ago when the standard deduction was, I think it was around $11,000 a couple of years ago. I don't remember. It keeps changing every year, but I I didn't pay him $11,000 because I didn't think that they deserved that much money for what they were doing. My son started off managing my, I had a website, a social media page, and he did that. And then um, my daughter was doing my books when she was about 15 and I would pay them $6,000, which is the amount for a Roth IRA. Yeah. Right. And so I made him get a checking account. And then every month I would deposit $500 as part of payroll. And then at the end of the year, I made them. And by the way, when I did that, I initially used to give them a paycheck. I literally gave them a live check and I made them go to the bank and deposit it. Actually, no, because it was above their daily limit to do it on their phone. Mm -hmm. So it was cool. They actually had to go to the bank and actually endorse the check and all that stuff. We did that a couple of times and then the money would show up. And then the whole trick of this was at the end of the year, when it's time, um, after they've got $6,000, I make them write a check to their Roth IRA. It's the same thing as going to the store and dumping your quarters on the register. I wanted them to see the money going into the Roth IRA. And then I would, um, I very quickly would help them learn how to invest that, right? Once you get $6,000, you know, I made my kids sit down with my financial advisor who uh, would explain to them how to invest. They got the basic concepts of risk and return. Now, when you have $6,000 in a Roth IRA, it's not as big as the money that maybe most of our listeners have and what they're worried about, but it's to a young kid or a 15 year old or a 20 year old, that's a it lot It could of be money. 6 million. Right. It you know, could be. It yeah. feels like that. Right. But they learn how to invest that and they learn that they're going to get paid and doing work in the business. And then to just kind of set the whole lesson home, I make my kids fill out a 1040 by hand. I don't let them use TurboTax. I do let them use the, e- I initially let them use the easy form, not last year. Last year, I graduated them all over to a 1040. And it's really funny because uh, we I'm just, just waiting for know, one of them to come back and be like, dad, I'm below the filing requirement. So this is not actually, <laughs> no, no, they, you know, they, they know that. Um, You're like, but, that's not the uh, point. I just want you to fill it out. The funny thing was one of the entities that I paid my son was not a partnership uh-huh. or it was a partnership at the time. And so he owed self a little bit of self-employment. Tax. Oh, there you go. And so we got a letter from the IRS that he owed, I think it was $80 mm-hmm. for self-employment tax. And so I gave him the letter and it freaked him out. Like a lot of things, you know, I'm the same way. I got a letter from the IRS this year. It was their mistake, but you know, I got a letter. It kind of freaked me out. So you go through this emotional roller coaster. So my kid did that under the safety of my wings and my household, right? Which is a great way to experience that for the first time. So he owned self-employment tax. We forgot to pay that because it was a partnership. So anyway, back to the Roth IRA, I make him deposit the money. I make him fill out a tax return so that by the time they're earning enough money that they actually need to file their own taxes, it's not scary. And the thing is, so many people look at the 1040 and they're kind of daunted by it, right? It, it's a lot of numbers. But if you start early, you realize, well, it's just a couple of simple questions and then some math. And most of these are not applicable, right? You know? Right. Especially when you're when you're a kid. So now, now my kids are in college, right? And we had 529 plans for them. So we get the 1099 Qs that are coming in. And so I make them collect those. And I'm going to show them how to actually record that income on their return. Very cool. I mean, so that, so that's it's like all a full part life of this growing up thing. Well, it is because it's foundational because like one of the things that you were talking about before is, you know, how do you get to some of these more complicated ideas like interest and credit and taxes 
but you don't. You don't actually say it, but they can feel it, right? Because just like what you were talking about of, hey, when you don't do the chores, I got you know some of that money. You're the government, right? Hey, I provided services. You didn't do it. I did it. So that's me coming back, right? They don't know that yeah. that's taxes, but in their head, hey, that's my withholding, right? That's my social security. That's my Medicare going out. Also, like you said, of like, hey, you don't really get why when this money is in here, you're getting rewarded for it, right? You don't know what interest is. You don't know what compound interest is. But you know, hey, if I save, I get rewarded. And so you're teaching these foundational ideas at an age where they don't really understand it. But like we were talking about before, like this is, I don't want to say it's genetic, but it's definitely passed down. And it's definitely something that is set at a very early age, right? This is something that is in your core because your kids are not old, right? You know, early teens, late teens and 20s here. But they already have an idea because some of the stuff they've already been burned by it. Some of these ideas, like you said, of the tax notice. Oh, God, it's like, hey, it's not like you're going to go to jail. You messed up. You got to fix something. All right. Or, you know, filing the taxes, understand the tax forms. I mean, how many people do you know that are grown adults that are like, oh, I could never look into that. But then when you show them, you're like, oh, that's really not that complicated, is it? It's like, no. But some people just put up a blocker to taxes, to financials. I'll never understand this. It's like, no, you're not going to be an expert. You're going to learn this. You're going to learn a little bit more. You're going to build on it, right? Just like you're talking about with kids. Hey, you don't go right from four years old. Hey, Poppy, let's talk about cryptocurrency, you know? Mm -hmm. But you have to set the foundation of basic stuff. And I think that the biggest thing that I took out of this is communication on it, right? Like, well, hey, why do my kids not appreciate the stuff they have? Or why do they not appreciate money? Well, have you ever talked to them about money other than just saying that's really expensive? What Mm -hmm. does expensive mean, right? Even if you're looking at a kid, looking from their view, that's really expensive. Okay, that's a lot of money. Who cares? They don't know, hey, that money is, follow the grapevine, that money is tied to someone's labor at some point, right? Unless, you know, you have someone completely passive income where it's not, but hey, that could be a good learning game there as well. But, you know, to be able to real life tangibly be like, hey, you know what, that money you're spending, this is this much of your time. This is much, you know, what you dedicated for. I want to pick up from that point you just made there and share some insight that we just recently had two weeks ago with our kids. You know, we, we've been very intentional with helping our kids to understand what money is and try to develop a healthy attitude about it. But recently we just bought this condo and it was a little bit of a stressful event for us because right now with the, with the banking system, the way it is, borrowing money is really hard. Even, you know, five years ago, if you had a steady income and not too much debt, if you could fog a mirror, you'd get a nice loan. Well, nowadays, even for small amounts of money, the banks put you through these incredible hurdles, right? So we had to go through that to get this loan. And we decided to sit down and share you know, a lot more information with our kids than we typically would. So we started off, we use a tool for aggregating our net worth called eMoney. A lot of folks use other tools. There's a lot out there. Ladder, there's a whole bunch of them, but, but we use eMoney. And so we showed our kids our net worth. We showed them the sources of our income. Um, we even showed them what our paychecks were. We didn't want to create this illusion of it's infinite and money just falls from the sky for us. And also we were producing all these forms for the banks. So we showed them what that process looked like and share with them some of our concerns. And then we also, it gave us the opportunity to explain passive income. Now, the reason that this has been a big deal is that, you know, when you're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, most of what you're earning is not, you know, it's not passive. You know, it's, you're mowing yards. My son had an internship last year with a company. My daughter worked at a company. They worked for me. We wanted them to understand that 
there's this other thing out there. And so when we show them our net worth, most of our personal net worth is, doesn't come from our paycheck. It's in our, it's in our investments. Yeah. And so we had a chance to show them how that passive wealth works and help them to understand what financial independence looks like for someone that looks like mommy and poppy. I don't know what their situation is going to look like when they're older, but going back to, to the condo, we explained how the condo produces this passive income and how that fits into our total portfolio. So, you know, this is raising financially responsible children to us is a, is a process. It's a, it layers upon itself. Right. And then you get to these levels of sophistication of explaining how a mortgage works with passive income and why are we charging $650 in rent and why are we raising rent from what it was last year for the tenants and how does that play into our total net worth? And I think that that was a big eye-opening thing. Now, the only issue that came out of that that we were not expecting was that one of our sons, who's going to be living in that condo, actually got very stressed out because he realized I was about, I was about that, to ask this too. Yeah, yeah. So what, what, what were you going to ask? I was about to ask about like the stress level because like a lot of it, like yeah. I said, we were talking about a lot of adults are stressed. And that's why yeah. I was saying like, does any time, is there kind of a, a backlash on it where it's like, hey, if you fill your kids in too much or there's some stuff going on that you're actually kind of, you know, hindering their relationship with money or, or freaking them out? You know, I don't know if it's good or bad. I mean, I, I love. I guess it's real life, right? Thoughts about this. It's real life. I mean, yeah. the fact is that buying this condo was stressful because we were trying to do a lot in a very short period of time to hit the window to close. My wife and I both work full time, and so a lot of the things that banks were asking for, they took a lot of time from us. And also, there came an issue at the end with the settled time of some of the cash that we needed for our deposit, and then we ran into all kinds of little hurdles like. One of the new law where you can only wire $25,000 in a clip now. I mean, I just assumed I could wire the deposit over when it was due. But the answer is no, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, our middle son was visibly stressed out by the task, but so were my wife and I. So it was actually, I think, a good lesson for him in the way we rounded it out for him was when you buy small things, it's very easy. When you buy big things like a condo or a car, because those transactions are, there's a lot more at stake, they're more complicated and more people get involved. And so there's more things that have to get done and it's more stressful. And so that was the way we explained it. And that's a good lesson to have because the biggest thing he's bought in his life is like, I think he bought a, a gaming console. Yeah, I was about to say like PS5 or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he was stressed out about going down and spending the money on, he didn't have a credit card. So he had to figure out how to pay with a checkbook. But I thought I was about to say, did he go down with the quarters? Be like, all right, this is is the big thing. Exactly. (laughs) So, so that was one place we got stressed out. And here's another thing that, that we, that we've done recently. That was a lesson that stressed out one of our kids. Our oldest son is almost 21. And one of the things that we teach our kids is that when you have abundance, when you've set aside the money for the taxes and you, you've also given to charity what you want to give and you saved for your upcoming cash flow needs, there may be some left over. And when you have some left over, you can invest. It. And so we've been teaching our kids about investing and about passive income. This is part of the lesson. And so our oldest son is definitely ready for this. And so he started making investments and he, uh, we helped him for a little while with just basic things like index funds. And then he got really good at it. And he actually probably got ahead of us in some ways. And so he started, I mean, this is the son who was on one of the social media groups when GameStop was getting ready to explode. And he knew what it was and he knew what was going to happen. And he knew that this group was, I mean, cause he was in one of the 
groups where they said, we're going to go do this. Yeah. And so if you recall the GameStop blow up, like one of my sons participated in that. And then he's also, he's part of the software company that I'm in. I pay him to actually write software there. And as a hedge fund, and he's learned how to trade and not trade like normal people, but almost day trading like. And uh, last night we were having a conversation because we're both big fans of a certain investment for day trading. It's a geared ETF. So it's three times the Dow. And so we were having this conversation over dinner about what it had done during the day. And he said, hey, I just, just so you know, I doubled down and I shorted it. I'm like, you mean you have enough margin to do that? You have enough you know, margin account? Yeah. How much do you have in that account, Alex? And he told me, and I almost fell out of my chair. And sure enough, it worked out because the next day the stock plummeted. He made a lot of money. So he hasn't got to experience his first margin call yet? No, he hasn't. He hasn't <laughs> experienced a margin call yet. That's coming, but he knows what it is. Yeah. But it's just amazing how by enabling him with a little bit of information and made him curious, he's actually taken that knowledge and run with it and gone to the next level. So if I can raise my children to be better than me in all these areas that, that are within my, my wheelhouse, I'll be delighted, right? Yeah. Isn't that our goal is to raise healthy, responsible children. And if they can be better than me, I would be absolutely delighted. But now, now the conversations around my dinner table, you can imagine are like that. It's we, you know, my son the other day said to me, we were talking about a transaction. He says, you should have done a trailing stop on that stop. And I'm like, what? Like, let me explain how it works. There's a nice YouTube video that I'll send you too. You can watch. Mm-hmm. I was like, That's super cool. Well, and also the cool thing now too is like, you know, when I was growing up, there wasn't Discord channels, right? There wasn't Reddit, you know, stuff like that. You know, there wasn't the information. We're in the information age. And so if you give these people the interest, because I know there's probably a lot of people here thinking like, hey, how am I supposed to educate my kids on, you know, margin calls and leverage and stuff like that when I don't understand it, right? It's like, you don't need to make an MX, but you need to expose them to it. And I know one of the early age, and so probably starting in like middle school, uh, we had some classes where you actually learned about this stuff. So you got fake money, you got to invest it. You know, and at that time we were just doing stocks, right? Picking stocks with fake money. Um, I think TD has one, right? Sink or Swim, I think is yeah, fake money. Yeah, in fact, the nice thing about the Sink or Swim app on the desktop version is that um, you can actually participate in a live market with fake money. They start you off with a million dollars. Yeah. And you can just do all kinds of, you can do options, you can do futures contracts, you can do everything on it. And And that's very advanced stuff that you can even watch their little tutorials, they explain it, and then you can play with it until you feel like, okay, I'm definitely not doing it's way too risky for me. Yeah. Or you go and, you know, cause you have to do it for a while because anything in the short run, because, you know, I started with that and then as I went and in college, I took my favorite class I ever took, which was banking and finance. We're literally to start a semester, you get the similar idea, think or sink or swim. So start a semester, you get money. And then it's a semester long competition to who has the most money at the end. And so every single week they have a leaderboard, right? But you could see people go all of a sudden it's like, Hey, he went from a million to 80 million, right? He was in something crazy. It's like, who's ever going to catch him? Now, everyone thinks that they're a genius, just like the regular stock market. So by week 10, he's broke, right? He's out of money because just as fast as it goes up, it comes down. But what a great lesson for that person, right? Of, hey, something that has this much reward has this much risk. And I remember that's when I started learning about futures, contracts, options, you know, calls, puts, stuff like that. You know, how far inside, how far outside the money. Oh, this one has a really good premium. Well, yeah, because it's a home run or it's nothing. And I remember learning as much as I could on that one. And then, yeah, obviously when I actually invest now, 
it was really helpful. And then to a certain point, I then said, okay, I now know enough about this to know that I'm not a professional, right? This is, I'll have play money, but then rely on the professionals to do what they do best. But just like I tell people about their accounting, hey, you are never probably want to be an accountant. You need to know enough about it to be dangerous, to be able to ask the right questions, to be able to oversee. Investing is the same way, right? You know, how many people do you think are out there that their financial advisors aren't doing a great job for them, right? They're putting them in super high expense funds, maybe something that doesn't even match up to what their goals are, but they have no idea what this is, right? They don't know what a structured annuity is. They have no idea they're relying on the professionals, which I'm not saying don't rely on professionals. Obviously, Nick and I both are professionals in this space, but we love clients asking us questions. Hey, Hunt, why would you do that? Hey, why do we think we need to be taxed like this? Hey, I don't expect you to be an expert on this. But to be able to ask these questions and understand enough about it is really cool. Hey, what's something I want to add to that? Though, Go for is it. That in today, if anyone listening here, if you have a financial planner or a wealth advisor or anything like that, a lot of these folks really enjoy working with, with families. I hope you're blessed to have an advisor like that. And you can sit your kid down with them. In my case, I asked my financial advisor to actually sit down and do you know, uh, his discovery meeting with them. A lot of advisors, financial planners, they go through a discovery process where they ask some basic questions about goals and kind of your risk tolerance. I asked my, my financial advisor to do that with all three of my children. And that was a great experience for them because they, first of all, got exposed to a professional advisor, right? So what does it look like to work with somebody that you're going to be listening to? Secondly, they got to be, they answered some questions that I wouldn't have thought of, but the financial advisor who's a professional in that area, he would have done it. And the third thing, the third biggest reason I did it was because if something happened to Monica and I, I needed my kids to know that they could trust our financial advisor and that they know who to go to. And so that's the beginning of the relationship that I would be able to pass along down the road. So there's all these reasons that I think people should have your, you know, take your kids with you when you go see your financial advisor and ask your financial advisor if they even be willing to to sit down with your kids and have a conversation with them. Yeah, that's such a cool idea on it. I really, really like that. Now, I think that, you know, to kind of wrap this one up, you know, what I would like your input on here is, what would you say to someone that is maybe not the most financially savvy, right? They're listening to this and saying, hey, you know what? I grew up and we didn't have money like that. My parents still have no idea about how to handle money, but I do, you know? How do you kind of shift that? Because, you know, I imagine that your parents taught you about money. You taught your kids. Your kids will teach theirs, right? Most things, when you look at how a human is, you can trace it back to somewhere. It's like, hey, you don't just get this. This is environmental or this is genetic. But how do you like have someone break that cycle and kind of maybe get rid of that stigma of, hey, money's not something that we talk about. Money's not a bad thing that should be a stressor in your life. Wow, that is a great question. You're like, I'm not sure, Hunt. Next question. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, I, I'm really glad you asked it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. First, I want to share that a lot of the people listening to this podcast, they are changing the course of their family for generations to come because they're doing the right things in their business. They're probably making money in a way that their parents didn't. And so the people listening probably are very tuned into the type of question you asked because they're already changing the course of their family forever and ever. Now, financial stewardship and financial responsibility is part of being a business owner. Uh, For people who learn to run a business, there's parallels in running your family business, your family finances. So to, to get started on the track versus if you have young kids, 
You start off by teaching them basic concepts of money, like we talked about with the coin. It really starts off basic. It's just like when you first run your shop, you might be thinking, well, I'm going to run everything off of cash so that I can get my arms around this. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then eventually you need to evolve. And it's the same thing with kids. Eventually the lessons have to evolve. And most likely as a parent, you're going to be evolving. If you're starting very basic, you're probably evolving with them. And then it's not like all of a sudden your kids one day are financially responsible little people. No, it's it, you have to let them make mistakes. It's no different than letting your service advisor fail on a client. When that happens, you want to make sure they don't fail in a way that breaks their you know, breaks their monthly paycheck or breaks the bank on the business. But there's a safety net there. Yeah. You help them learn the lesson, right? That's how people grow. And so you have to also, as a parent, be willing to say, you know, I'm going to let my kids make some mistakes in this area. And then the last thing I would do is that, you know, you and I both are in the professional services industry and finance. I think there's a difference between an advisor and a coach and a consultant. A lot of times people who are coaches and consultants, they can help you to figure out how to teach your kids these little tricks. I think, you know, obviously you're in an industry where you, uh, you have a lot of domain experience around taxes and things like you know, accounting nature, but also you're a great coach. And people may not realize that you can talk to your CPA, you can talk to your banker, maybe even, or you can talk to your financial advisor and get advice on this stuff to develop your family, especially if you have an advisor that is focuses on your on a family, right? People like me and you hunt, you know, we're husbands, we're fathers, we're people that care. So of course I want my clients asking me about children and finances and hey, my son just got a credit card and has a big balance. How would you handle that if you were me? You know, stuff like that. I want to engage with people on that. Now now when it comes to starting points, you know, there it's not too late to start. If your kid's 15 and you've never sat down and talked with them about money, then that just means that maybe you may have to condense some of the lessons and you probably shouldn't insult them by giving them three jars and paying them quarters every every week. Or maybe talk it's, to them and see how much they know already, right? That might surprise yeah, that, you. Yeah, that's a start. But here's the challenge. If you don't do it and you're listening to this podcast and you're making a lot of money, you're going to be putting dynamite in the hands of someone that doesn't know how to handle it. So if you want to continue your family legacy the way that you've probably started already, you really need to get on the ball with teaching your kids finance. There's a, I'm trying to remember, do you know that Chinese phrase, wealth can't survive three generations? <laughs> what is it's it? Something fir- like that. The first one makes it, the second one grows it, the third one kills it or something like that. Something like that. There's also the, the short sleeve t-shirt one, right? Something like it's t-shirt to t-shirt in three generations. Something like that. I don't know. Well, think about, I mean, you have a great point, right? Think about how many people you know that, you know, grow up trust fund kids. Well, not that you know personally, right? You know, I don't know a whole lot of trust fund babies, but you see these kids that have grown up uber, uber wealthy and just spiral downhill and, you know, lose everything and get into drugs and stuff like that. It's because they were never taught, right? Their parents had all this money and they obviously were very financially savvy to get to that point. But they never pass that on to the kids. And so then you have a kid that gets a $20 million trust from when he's 22. Even a pretty financially savvy one's going to still make some mistakes on it. But if you have no background, if you have no sense of money and what it means, you're like, of course that kid failed. It's not really that kid's fault. He was never taught this, right? I feel like that a lot of stuff that we do as parents, like we're always trying to be better. Like, hey, how do we do this? What are other people doing? And I think the big thing that I took out of this is, you know, talk about this, right? Not only talk about your kids, You don't have to tell your friends how much you make on W-2 or whatever. But hey, how do you talk to your kids about money? Because I love your idea, Nick, and I've already started to do some of this stuff. 
But just like pay plans, just like anything in parenting, there's not a right and a wrong way, right? What works for my kids might not work for your kids. What works for Nick's kids is definitely not going to work for all three of mine. You have to find what's unique. And again, parenting, half of it's just showing up, right? You tried. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Hey, maybe you don't know what an option is. That's not your job. Luckily, the kids have access to Google and YouTube. If you can give them an interest, if you can kind of get that spark going, I think you've done your job or at least you've done something, right? Hunt, every time we talk, I, I just love it, right? We always get into these really interesting conversations. It's amazing. We well, I told you, this is one I was like, this is one that I want to talk about. It's like a lot of, I guess most of my podcast episodes I do is like, well, hey, what's going through my head? But I mean, this is like my kids are starting to get that age where like they need to learn about it. And I've tried stuff and I'm not going to share it because it hasn't been very, you know, helpful. And I'm like, how do I get this to click? And I think the big thing is, is it's not going to completely click at a four-year-old, right? It's not going to completely click at a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, an 11-year-old. But over the years, they get bits and pieces of this where I think they'll look back and there'll be stuff where like, oh, okay, I like subconsciously know this. I don't even know why, right? They might not even remember what happened when they were four, when they had to pay their sister because she cleaned up all of their clothes. But it's ingrained in them, right? Just like it is now with, you know, we're adults and you're like, oh, I wouldn't do that. Why? I don't know. And you think about it, you're like, well, because if I show up to work and I'm three hours late and I'm drunk, I'm going to get fired, right? It's just like, you just know that automatically. It's, but all of this stuff, you know, is learned and passed down. And also a lot of times, you know, just mirroring what your parents are doing here. Hey, they're never talking about it. Just being around you. Um, yeah. Your kids are going to learn a lot. Just being around, listening at dinner. Same thing with me. Yeah. Yeah. Just showing up is more than half, 80%. Yeah. Being a loving and supportive parent of your kids. It's a beautiful thing. And that makes a huge difference. For sure. For sure. Well, awesome. It's Nick. been great talking with you today. Every yeah. time we, every time we get on the phone, we always have so much to talk about. <laughs> I appreciate it. any final words anyway. Uh, so yeah, tell a little bit about arc financial. You want to oh, tell yeah, people how they can get in touch with you? Financial. Yeah. We got yeah, completely so, off on the kids, right? That's okay. Uh, so you actually kind of brought it up at the beginning that um, I've had the pleasure of being in a fa- and being a family office. That was what I started. So the basic idea of a family office though, is that there's a single kind of a single point of, contact to manage all the different parts of the family. You mentioned earlier, you know, you don't need to be a CPA to understand a little bit about taxes. The issue that we see is today's business owner, the world's pretty complicated. You know, for the business to thrive, the family has to thrive. And it's pretty complicated to make that happen. So about 12 years ago, ARC Financial started developing methodologies to help people, specifically business owners, get healthy in the family so that they would be healthier in the business. And so we help out with things like entity structures, tax mitigation, tax strategies, cash flow, insurance. We basically look at everything. It's everything that you would talk about with your wife at dinner, we get into. And then what we try to do specifically is bring peace and abundance, move people, shift them from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset uh, so that they, they live more abundantly. Now that's our financial since then. So I used to do that with families. I used to manage about seven wealthy families as their advisor, walk with them to help them. But then we started the online training where we teach people the methodology of how to build their family office. It's a 12 month program. It's not open to the public. Uh, we do it within certain car shop communities. I'm also a coach for uh, certain members in that group that choose that level of service. And that means I get to walk with them for a while and help make sure that they're healthy in all these different areas. Uh, And it's funny because very few people talk with me about their kids, but you and I both know that 
half of what we do sometimes is marriage therapy, yeah. right? It's emotional healing from injuries that came from either childhood or something goes wrong in the business and it's traumatic, but that's, you know, there's a big emotional component to what we do. That's a little bit more about me. I, I, I haven't grown up as a financial advisor. I used to work in corporate America. I'm actually an engineer by training, um, but I've been a serial entrepreneur my whole life. I'm still trying to get over that. My wife is trying to beat that out of me. <laughs> but see, I think sometimes a lot of things, you know, coming from outside of it, you get a really unique perspective on it because if you come from inside, you're always thinking, all right, how do I fix this? Versus you, which ties into you and the family office. It's, I don't need to figure out how, I need to figure out who, right? Who's the right yeah. piece to do this? Hey, I don't do cost segregations. I don't want to learn how this guy does them, right? And, yeah. you know, and, and to kind of wrap up what you do. And so essentially what a lot of people have right now is they have a lot of professionals they rely on, right? You got someone doing insurance, you got someone doing retirement, you got someone doing taxes, you got someone doing your investing. They're all kind of spread out and you are that intermediary person, right? You as a listener are the one getting information from them and processing maybe half of it, right? Where a family office comes in is, hey, they're the central person. They're the one Mm -hmm. dispatching. They're the one making sure that the financial advisor is talking to the tax planner. Hey, do we need to do a Roth conversion? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Let me go check. Let me see what this is. See if this makes sense, right? Because, hey, if you are just have a W-2 job, right? You show up and get to work. You have a very simple financial structure. Most people... They're self-employed. You got at least one business. Maybe you're renting the shop to yourself. Maybe you got multiple locations. Maybe your wife also works too. Whether you know it or not, if you start going down a list of the different investments and where your money is and stuff like that, it's pretty daunting and it's pretty intimidating. And instead of shutting down and just saying, hey, I hope it's all going fine. You know, this is where someone like Nick comes no, you in. Got, say, you got to take responsibility yeah. for yourself. And the other thing that you mentioned earlier is it's not only helping to translate between the advisors, but to, in today's economy, the disciplines, well, you know, taxes, estate planning, business, all those disciplines, they're intertwined. And there's just not enough people out there that know how to take into consideration all these different strategies. For example, the other day, I was on, the, on a call with somebody that has a simple IRA for their employees, which is a great little program. And uh, he, he's contributing the bare minimum to it to make safe harbor per his plans plan. And I said to him, well, you should max that out. Max out your simple. And he's like, why? Well, my CPA told me that it doesn't help me. It's not you guys, by the way. He's with a different CPA. I was about to say. (laughs) Do you understand what that does to your taxable income? Yeah. He's like, oh, I never asked about the tax implications. I was asking about it from a retirement perspective. So again, that just goes to show a lot of these strategies, they, they touch all these different areas and people don't really think holistically about it. So part of the family office is making sure the strategies work together in harmony the benefit of the family. Well, also some second opinions, right? You know, hey, if you go to your CPA and they say, don't do that. Now, a lot of my clients, if I tell them something, I always like to educate them on here's why, or hey, there is actually yes or no. Some things I'm gonna tell you, you have to do this, right? It's a no brainer, but you're gonna blindly trust me. Now, I have the best interest of my clients in mind, not to say that someone's doing something nefarious, but they could be lazy, right? They could just be giving you bad advice. And how many times do we see this after someone changes their account after 10 years, and we look at it and be like, what? Yeah. And it's like, you know, because awesome. that's the way it's always been done. And no one's ever right. looked at it. No one's ever no said one's why. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That, yeah, just that little verification. And also just having another set of eyes can be real helpful. And also you mentioned earlier that you know, there's not always one right answer. Usually you're trying to choose not between good and bad, but between good and better. Right. Yeah. That's what makes this hard and fun. Well, and I always love working with you. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate Enjoy it. And um, thanks you all for listening. And, and hopefully you learned something here. 
hopefully, uh, as everyone hopes as a parent, that their kids are going to be richer than them, right? Or at least maybe not rich, wealthy, whether that's financial or non-financial, right? So appreciate you joining me today. Thanks again, Nick. And uh, I will talk to you all soon. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nick. I know I did and learned a lot from it. But if you know someone that could use this, please share with friends. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Just want to say thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.